Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Purple Daily on Draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. Of course, Purple Daily on Draft is the NFL draft perspective kind of encapsulated across the full year. Tyler Fornis, Miles Gorham, Declan Goff here to take you through an NFL draft perspective as it relates to the Vikings. We've taken that model and morphed it into the whole season. Now the Vikings are 0-2, so... A lot, a lot, and plenty to get into uh, on today's episode on Purple Daily on Draft. And yeah, kind of a desperate time now for the Vikings, fellas. They've fallen to 0-2. Uh, we're also recording this on a late Sunday evening. Chargers are 0-2, so we'll have a couple desperate teams uh, going at it next Sunday. Vikings will be looking for their first win. But let's, let's start here, because I think the biggest weakness so far for the Vikings has been interior defensive line. Teams just running up and down. I mean, Forno, you're the college expert, but at the same time, doesn't even take a college football mm-hmm. expert, an NFL expert. You watch how the Eagles ran down the Vikings' throat. I mean, it was basically like a college offense just marching down an NFL team pretty much, um, and the Vikings had no answer, whether it was Jalen Hurts, whether it was option plays. It doesn't matter who was in the backfield uh, for the Eagles. They had a tough time stopping it. So I guess l- let's, let's start here. Uh, have the Vikings neglected their defensive line and – preferably, I guess, specifically in the NFL draft, is that an area where you should try to sew that up early in drafts, Forno? Are you looking to get interior defensive line help later in drafts? Have they missed the boat on fixing what used to be a very stout position for them for like basically 20 years up until a few years ago? So this is a multi-layered question. So let's kind of start here. My personal belief is Brian Flores saw what they could do in the passing game and it's like, no, beat me with a million paper cuts. And you're going to have to run against me. I'm not letting you throw. And they were able to get two deep bombs. Otherwise it was 21 attempts and like 77 yards, not exactly MVP caliber numbers from Jalen hurts who had a tremendous season last year. So his philosophy was, I'm not letting you beat me in the passing game, beat me with the running game. And that's kind of how he played. Yeah. He had like the, the penny look where you had five on the line and one linebacker, Look, it didn't work. And Ivan Pace got exposed a little bit. Still a very good player. Tremendous for a UDFA. But he got exposed in the running game. The defensive line just wasn't good enough. I don't know why Jaqueline Roy was a healthy scratch. I don't know why Kyrus Tonga wasn't playing more. Because Harrison Phillips is not a two-gap nose tackle. He just isn't. He can play in a 4-3-1 gap like Linval Joseph did. Or he can play like a 4-I-5 technique. He can't be a two-gapper 
where you're asking him to cover both a gaps in the running game. That's just not his game. And asking him to do so is honestly to a point setting him up to fail. So it, let we, we got that under control. Now, not everybody's going to be able to do what the Eagles did because the Eagles have a tremendous offensive line. DeAndre Swift has a lot of talent, hasn't really been able to put it together for a multitude of reasons. One, uh, Detroit Lions offensive line was booty for the first couple years of his career, and he kept getting hurt. So now he's in a much better situation, theoretically, and it showed on Thursday night. But they have neglected it to a point. Because in a 3-4, your defensive line, you need good players. And the Vikings have good players. Problem is, when they have stinkers, it shows up a lot more than when you have great players who don't have a good game. And this needs to be addressed moving forward. But theoretically, as they're continuing this competitive rebuild, my look on it is this was one area they decided to hold off on because they wanted to upgrade what they deemed more premium positions. And I think pass rushing defensive tackle is becoming a premium position. Look at how some of these guys are getting paid around the league. Quinn and Williams, Aaron Donald, Christian Wilkins is about to get a, a big payday because of the contributions that they're giving on the field. Look at Chris Jones. Like he's asking for like $30 million. And quite frankly, he's worth it based on his performance. So it, it's multifaceted. And when you're talking about the NFL draft, if they're great, take them early. If they're, if they have high upside, but they just haven't pieced it together, take dart throws on big guys with high upside athleticism and see if you can work with it. See if you can develop it. You see all the time defensive linemen who are late round picks end up panning out because sometimes it just takes a little bit of NFL coaching and NFL weight room, that kind of structure to really get the most out of some of these high upside athletes. So if you see the elite guy, take them. Otherwise dart throw after dart throw after dart throw until you figure it out. And the Vikings may have to spend a bunch of money on the position so they can figure it out quicker. And they've certainly done that in the past before, right? Like, look at Big Pat Williams over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, Linval Joseph, same thing. I mean, they, they have spent significant money at a position that isn't the sexiest position, but to Forno's point, it's becoming almost integral now to be taken seriously as a contender in the NFL. The Vikings have neglected it, and now for three years, they've had probably one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, run defenses in the league. Uh, uh, Miles, you were a former college football guy. You played a little college football, played some high school football, too. Is there any type of thing that can salvage this internally? Are you looking to maybe add something, whether that's a trade or a waiver wire? Um, take take us through your your uh, former college football career and see if maybe there's something we can <laughs> add to this Vikings interior defensive line. I don't know. Being a, a former uh, receiver really helps in this case, but um, <laughs> the, I think the tough part is it's in the middle of the season. Like They were fortunate to get someone like Kairos Tonga last year on waivers or uh, off the street, essentially, but um, I don't think he's like a guy that you're going to be able to come in and um, revamp an entire defensive structure. Um, you're not going to be able to do that uh, with a guy off the street, essentially. Maybe maybe someone like a, a big bodied guy that you could bring in late, um, you know, hits, hits free agency or, or something like that. Maybe a low level trade, like you said, is possible. But they're at a point where they're not really going to be able to completely fix the issue now. Um, they need kind of like two positions on that defensive line. Like I think I think Harrison Phillips is a good player. He's like what Forno said is he's a 
He's a good um he's good at stopping the run. He's not a, they don't have any pass rushers, but they also don't really have a a big two gapper like like Forno mentioned. So they don't have a guy like if you want to run that some people call it a NASCAR package, some people call it like essentially the package they ran to stop Jalen Hurts on Thursday was we need to go light. You have one guy in the middle and then go light everywhere else because we need to have that speed on the field to keep up with Hurts, Swift, um, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Smith, like those types of weapons that they had. And so that was their game plan is we're not letting those guys beat us um, through the air and, and with their speed. Um, but the one thing that they don't have is that guy in the middle that can truly control the, the line of scrimmage so that when it seemed like the, the Eagles wants to run it down your throat, when you decide to go light, um, you at least have some backup there, someone that can can help contain a little bit more in the middle. And they didn't have that in Harrison Phillips or anybody for that matter. So that's the tough part the Vikings are really um, running with because we know Flores wants to be a positionless type of defense where he wants guys to be able to move all over the place and play play different roles. But it's really hard to do that when you when there's a few foundational pieces that you're missing in, the, in these areas. And that, that's one of them. Um, and then obviously I think they still need another interior pass rusher. Now the I- ideal scenario is you have, you find a guy that can kind of do a little bit of both, like a Christian Wilkins, um, like a um, uh, who's the how am I blanking on the Giants guy? Um, Dexter, uh, Dexter Lawrence. Lawrence, yeah, big sexy Dexy uh, Dexter Lawrence, right? Um, like that type of guy. Like I know those are top, those are like top ten type of picks in the draft, but they really need a guy that can be a, a control the defensive line, control the, the line of scrimmage, but also threaten that pass rush as well. And they just really don't have anybody to do that. So they have to get creative with it. But as we saw on Thursday, when they try to get too creative, it can, um, a team like the Eagles will say, well, we'll just change our game plan. Instead of using Jalen Hurts to outrun everybody, we'll just beat you down, you know, beat it down your throats. And that's exactly what they did. Obviously, we'll get into a little bit of quarterback discussion too, uh, as it relates to the draft. But do you guys feel, at least as a whole, that the whole defensive line group is probably a humongous question mark and probably something that has to be addressed early in the draft next year, just because you have Daniil who's basically could be walking in free agency. You don't know where you're going to get Marcus Davenport who's played like what one snap in two games. Um, and you have, in t- and you have interior defensive linemen that have just basically replacement, if not worse level players. Mm-hmm. It feels like to me, at least Forno, that the position group of the defensive line there is a lot of questions and you might have to address it immediately in the draft uh, starting in 2024. I think that that's a likely scenario, but we'll see what ends up happening with the quarterback position mm-hmm. because that that's the biggest question mark. Uh, if we go on the assumption that the Vikings are moving on from Kirk cousins, which it feels like they're going to, then how early are they going to take that guy? How much draft capital are they going to have? Are they going to have to give up that second round pick or more? to be able to move up to go get that guy. So there's a lot of variables here. Mm-hmm. Plus, I also want to mention, because it's a 3-4, I want to separate defensive line from edge rushers because they're treated differently 100%. here. Under, yep. Unlike with what we've known in the Mike Zimmer defense, the 4-3, they're all on the line. But your defensive line and your edge rushers are kind of classified differently here. So I would pro- I would prioritize paying one group and drafting the other. So I'd probably pay Daniel Hunter, Marcus Davenport, you know, kind of figure that out and then draft on the interior because you're not going to be able to pay big bucks for both. Right. And you can kind of scheme a little bit around some of the nuances of the defensive line. It's a little bit harder to scheme around your edge rushers, unless you're bringing a lot of pressure. 
And we've seen the impact Daniel Hunter's had. I can have really good linebackers, which that's a weak position group in itself. Uh, Jordan Hicks is 31 years old. Uh, Ivan Pace is like very good, but he's limited and he's not, he's not a do it all guy yet. And he may never be. So you, that box, everybody talks about defenders in the box. That's got to be a big priority, but I just don't know how that's going to end up looking considering all the other variables the Vikings are going to have to deal with, but it's got to be uh, in like the top three or four positions that you're looking at. Yeah. And it, it also, also real quick, it, it also needs to be like you said, for a priority, but, it, and I'm going to say this as it, like, I know it's not easy, but it is, it, it tends to be an easier way to find a, a big body interior guy than it does an edge rusher. It's harder mm-hmm. to find those guys. Um, you know, you talk about just going and spend that, that the money, but it's a lot easier to find a guy who can just plug the the A gap and the B gap, like those the, the interior of the line, than a Daniil Hunter type of defensive lineman or edge rusher. So um, I think I think DeForno's point is they need to they need to pinpoint, but they also need to spend they need to they need to spend money there. Like it doesn't need to be a lot. Like kind of like offensive line, you can't just rely on mid round picks all the time. You can't just rely. You you kind of have to put a true investment in there if you really want to get an output back. And I think um, the the interior defensive line is one of those situations where. You probably need to go get at least one guy that be that's a foundational piece, and then you can kind of build around the rest of that guy with like maybe lesser talent because that guy kind of helps supersedes everything else. So that's the one thing I struggle with is is how do you best like find that that combination? And I feel like they've struggled with that so, like the last few years. I think I think there's two areas that the Vikings can do here in the draft. Now, um, one of them is potentially them figuring out this team and they're drafting somewhere in the teens, and they can maybe take a defensive lineman to what your guys are saying or defensive or an edge rusher, whatever it is, um, and they can potentially fix that. But uh, let's say here the Vikings, who are 0-2, continue to tailspin. I mean, there, there's a realistic path where this team could be 1-5, 1-6 know, as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. We're not going to have a trade deadline conversation necessarily right away, um, but it definitely feels like, for the first time with, especially with life after Kirk cousins, that the idea of drafting a quarterback, which I feel like it's always gets thrown around during the off season is now becoming more like of a reality here as we get closer and closer with Owen two starts and overreactions and all that fun stuff. And it's, it's fun conversation to have, I guess, for now too. But do, do you feel like we, if the, if the Vikings are indeed tanking here, if they get off to this slow start, is this quarterback conversation a legitimate thing? Like, is is it more of a plausibility at this point if the Vikings are indeed one in five that a quarterback is probably significantly on their radar with their first pick in the draft next year? I think it's significant, significantly on their radar right now. I don't think anything changes with the quarterback discussion until we know the future of Kirk Cousins. If Kirk Cousins resigns in 10 minutes, then you stop having the quarterback discussion in round one uh, depending on what the contract is. If it's a one-year deal, if you love the guy, you take him anyways. He sits for a year behind Kirk, then he takes over. But until we know that he's coming back or he's going somewhere else, like the discussion's always going to be there. And it's that variable and uncertainty where you have to at least start preparing like he's not coming back. And th- this is just a commonplace thing for general managers. You believe a guy's not coming back, you're trying to replace him even while he's still there, like you're already starting that process. The Vikings did it with Adam Thielen. They had a, they believed he probably wasn't going to be back after the 2022 season. 
they scouted wide receivers. They took Jordan Addison and it feels like it's working out pretty well. It's just a commonplace. It's not an anti-Kirk thing. It's just how you build a team. You have to always prepare for somebody leaving. And even if they have this really, really bad start, I don't think this Vikings team is truly going to tank until they're completely eliminated from the playoffs. And then I believe that they should start Jaron Hall and just see what he's got. Like sure. in, as long as the Vikings are in playoff contention and Kirk healthy, you play Kirk cousins and there's no questions, but it, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. And until Kirk actually signs a new deal, quarterbacks uh, in play hundred percent. And I just think that, that we have to understand that that's where we're at. And there's really nothing we can do until we get more answers. People don't want to admit there's going to be life after Kirk, but there's going to be a life after Kirk because he's 35 years old. And like, whether he signs an extension or not, like they're making plans for life after Kirk because they have to, like, I know all these talks about Justin Jefferson and his contract and tying to Kirk cousins, but Justin Jefferson knows that 35 year old Kirk will not be his quarterback his entire career. He's 24. Like, yeah. So I'm with you. I think, I think it's, it's very much one of those scenarios where, where it, it can be, they can go hand in hand. Like yeah. in the ideal scenario, Kirk Cousins is here while you draft somebody behind him and that guy develops behind him. That's the perfect ideal world for the organization. Now, if you're Kirk Cousins, you're, that's probably not the ideal world for you. You want to continue to always be that guy and not have that threat behind you. But, mm-hmm. you know, we know how things work. What makes this really intriguing, Miles, is the fact that in our formative years of football, We've barely had any continuity at the quarterback position, right? Like my, my earliest formative years were the three years of Warren moon and then Warren moon gets hurt in 96. And then Brad Johnson takes over Brad Johnson gets hurt in 98. It's Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham stinks to 99. Jeff yep. George, I'll take Cole Pepper until 2005. Hey, Brad Johnson's back. Like the, we've had such a, an anti uh, continuity. When we look at, at the team from Wisconsin, and they have essentially two quarterbacks for the total of 30 years. And we want that for ourselves because that's, yeah. that's a great position to be in. And I think people have attached themselves a little bit to Kirk Cousins in that way because we crave that continuity. We want it. And sure. he's played well. And there's no arguing that. But at 35 years old, it may be time, especially with how they're trying to reformat this team. So it's it's tough. Sometimes it's not always about how good the guy is. It's about moving forward. And mm-hmm. those are difficult conversations. Last thing on this for you guys, before we transition to other topics, but do you think there is a path where the Vikings draft a rookie quarterback and Justin Jefferson still stays? And I guess I'll put the caveat as in he's not extended when the draft rolls around, right? So he's still under the fifth year option. There hasn't been a contract extension worked out. Uh, but the first order of operation was they draft a quarterback Miles, do you still see a path where JJ does still ink that long-term deal before 2024 starts? Yeah, I th- I think that's the priority for the Vikings. Like, and I think they're not letting JJ dictate like who the next quarterback's going to be, but they're definitely in in his ear telling him what what they're thinking. At, at least it feels that way. At least with what Crazy said in the offseason and those things, it it definitely feels like they want him to be involved to understand what their process and thought is. So it's not just a blindside to him. So he knows the direction of the team because if, if, if they do, if he really is worried about what that, that like future is with a quarterback um, you want, obviously you want that pen to paper for the Vikings, but you know, if you're not going to give him that upfront honesty and, and information, 
then that's probably like a severed relationship. You want that a tight a tight knit relationship so that JJ does understand, you know, where you're trying to go, whether that is bring Kirk Cousins back, whether it's to just focus on the draft, what have you. So um yes, I, I think the full court press will be on to get JJ signed before the twenty twenty four season starts. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. We'll also have some Drake May conversation later on in this episode. He played the Golden Gophers over the weekend, and I want uh, Forno's uh, analysis from that. After I've seen some stuff on tape, I was able to watch the majority of the game as well. Um, but transitioning to uh, at least a recent draft pick, who looks like an absolute stud, probably the brightest, I guess, uh, silver lining, shining light so far throughout this Vikings 0-2 start, is Jordan Addison, who's caught a couple touchdowns here. He stretched the field, and um, Forno, I brought this up to you on Purple Access over the weekend that it seems kind of reminiscent of the whole BC Johnson JJ situation from three years ago, where mm-hmm. BC was a hard worker. Justin Jefferson's a first round pick. And then all of a sudden it took until week three or so for JJ to get more of the reps. Are you there where you want to see against the Chargers and going forward that Jordan Addison should be getting even more reps um, than KJ Osborne for the rest of the season? I think so. Uh, the only real difficulty I have in that is how respected KJ is in the building and how hard of a worker he is and the effort that he's put into making himself a receiver when he was drafted as a kick returner. And I know I've said this on, on this show before I've said it on purple access, but when you're drafted as a only a returner and not even given the, like for lack of a better term, dignity of being drafted as a wide receiver, that tells you what people thought of you coming out and to work your way up to a starting wide receiver in the national football league. KJ Osborne is the epitome of a grinder, a hard worker, great teammate, great character guy, all those synonyms that you want to put in there. But at the end of the day, if you when you have a guy as talented and performing as well as Jordan Addison, you have to make that switch. But it becomes increasingly difficult when you have a guy like KJ Osborne, where it wasn't nearly as difficult when you have a guy like BC Johnson. And I think those elements really come into play that we don't necessarily think about or talk about nearly as much as we probably should because in the building stuff matters. Camaraderie matters. How your teammates view you matters. We talk about that with like quarterback controversies. If the locker room's given up on a guy like say Zach Wilson, then the coaches have to have to take him out and they have to put in another guy because the locker room has turned. And like having people believe in you and having people know what you are, who you are, that matters here too. And just based on talent, you have to take out KJ Osborne and yet put in Jordan Addison. He's, he's proven he can handle it. Miles, is this this just Addison trying to force his hand a little bit? Like, I mean, what, what else I think does Addison have to do or what does I guess, what does the coaching staff have to do, I guess, to give Jordan Addison a little bit more reps than KJ, despite all the great things too, and all the good things behind the scenes that KJ Osborne does do. I mean, it's definitely a consistency thing. I, I I think we see the big plays. The big plays matter, and I obviously Addison's showing that he can um, he can make those plays. Um, but at the same time, there's a consistency that comes to it too, like a a, a down in a down 
you know, routed routes, every route, every rep like matters. And they watch that film, like whether Addison's getting targeted or not, they watch the film on how he, if he won his route, how he looked off the route, if he's running the right depth, if he's doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. Now I haven't watched enough to say that he is or isn't, but the, the coaches are obviously doing that. And so those are things that he needs to prove to them that he knows every route tree. He knows all the, the entire route tree. He knows the entire playbook. He knows all the routes for each, each specific position because he might have to interchange because they do a lot of interchanging there. Like obviously JJ's the guy, like they build the offense around JJ for the passing game. But that means the guys that play behind him have to know everything because they might be asked to play some random position at any given uh, play because JJ might be swapping with them because they need that play to go to, to be featured for JJ. So there's a lot of things that go into it behind the scenes that I think people might not always realize. Like it's not just like a, oh, no, you're out and, and go. You need to know the encompassing like factor of that play and like why it matters. And so I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't have the answer if, if he's doing all those things correctly or not. He's obviously doing enough to show that the talent's there. And I think that's the huge part of it. Um, and then KJ is struggled enough to, to not have, you know, have some drops and, and some of those things. So I think there's room for, J- for Addison to, to obviously take more of those reps away. It's just about how the team feels um, Addison taking those reps away. And if it, if there's enough of that, um, uh, I, I tell like Forno's point, like camaraderie and enough, like gel with Kirk Cousins and the rest of the offense for that to happen. And now I kind of, I've kind of said over all, all off season, I expected KJ to be the guy that number two receiver to start the season. But then Addison was slowly just take that role over. And obviously the BC Johnson um, comparisons similar, but to put that your, both your guys' points is he's not anywhere near as talented as what KJ Osborne is. So it's not just like this easy, oh, we're just going to swap you out in week two, week three, because we still have a guy that we can, um, we can give a uh, run to. And KJ is a good player. And I, I don't want to like take away from the, the stumbles mm-hmm. he's had to start the season. Cause he's still a good player. Um, but I, I think, it's time that Addison kind of gets more of that run so that he can still build up his reps because his, the whole thing about um, Jordan Addison is it's about the long-term for him. Yes. You want him to be a competitive um, contributor now, but you want to build him into this system long-term as well. What do you guys make if Jordan Addison's a stud and maybe even the 2023 draft class in general, Makai Blackman's gotten some run here. This draft class has already made somewhat of, a little bit of immediate impacts. I don't know if it's fair to throw Ivan Pace into the draft class since he was a UDFA and we probably shouldn't. But oh, he Addison, is. You you throw him in there. You you yeah. include him in the draft oh, yeah. class because he's, 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 he's a rookie and you brought him in as as someone that you okay. gave a you gave quite a bit of like guaranteed money to. And so one thing I, I think people don't think about when it comes to like UDFAs. Oh, why didn't they draft him? Well, it's very possible everybody on their board that they took they had mm-hmm. higher than Pace and they could have still had Pace with like a fourth round valuation because right. they said they had a day two grade and a starter grade on Dwayne McBride. They took him in round seven. Mm-hmm. So that's something that needs to be taken into account too. It's not that they didn't believe in this guy. They had him just lower on their board than the guys that they did believe in. Yeah. And not to say this is a completely black and white um, answer here, but if the 2023 draft class, which again is starting to play some dividends already two games in, does that make you, feel better does it give you a little bit more of forgiveness for what the 2022 draft class isn't accomplishing i mean i feel like we're all just looking at the 2022 draft class in a vacuum of man that might go down as one of the worst draft classes in vikings history even though that it's only been a season and two games but what if this 2023 draft class actually turns out to be pretty good does that change your opinion miles just of 
how you look at the last two drafts? Is it is it not complete forgiveness what you did in 2022, but if this draft class is good, do you still have trust in Kwesi going forward? Because I just feel like there's so much vitriol towards Kwesi uh, because yeah. of the, the the bad draft class of the first one in 2022. No, that's a great point. And I, I think the 20, it's not to give him an excuse, but it's clear that 2022 draft class was definitely more of a, we need to fill positions more than we need to like take the best talent. And that's what it felt like from the 2022 class. Whereas 2023, it felt like they were like, we only have a limited amount of, um, of picks. Let's take the best players at the, at the best value positions. And they did that. Um, whereas 2022, they kind of just said, we have these specific needs that we need to focus on and we're going to kind of take it because that's where the board seems to fall for us. Cause it, I think they were still struggling with where guys fit. Like, obviously, I think a Caleb Evans would, I'd consider a hit, but they spent yeah. two picks on him. They spent a, a fourth and then a future fourth to get him. So, like, those are things that you also need to factor in. But I think if you can at least salvage a couple of those guys from that 2022 class to pair with the 2023 one, I, I don't, I, I don't, I haven't lost like my, uh, my, uh, uh, trust in Quazy because I still think there's a lot of room for him to continue to, to move. But at the same time, it, it does, it, it gives you a little bit of pause of, of some areas that, that obviously you still need to be um, addressed from this team that they still, they, they haven't um, even through the draft. So like obviously interior offensive line, they bring back Garrett Bradbury, but they also draft Ed Ingram, like those types of things that you question, but you also want to give um, GMs the, the leeway to, to make up for those mistakes because all drafts are pretty unpredictable. And so um, it's such a small sample size in the grand scheme of things. Like we got what, like 15 years of Rick Spielman. So we mm-hmm. kind of knew like where that runway was, but Quazy's only had two drafts. So it's really hard to just say that like, this is who he is as a GM with two draft class. If one's been good um, on, you know, and then one's been very poor on paper or not even on paper anymore, but you know, so it's, it's kind of one of those situations. It's hard to um, say like, I've lost trust. So I don't know. I don't know what, what Forno thinks there, but I don't know. I'm, I struggle to just like completely um, pin all the bad on one person and then, and then not say that the good from this new one, this new draft um, doesn't also like factor. I think what's really interesting is you can see the dichotomy between the two classes, how they were approached by who's on staff and a lot of the people on staff. Cause what I think not everybody realizes is draft prep starts right after the previous year's draft. You get all your ducks in a row. You get your watch list. You figure out like your own path of glory, which like, Hey, I need my Midwest scout at this game, yada, yada, yada. And then you try and map things out. And then you obviously have to adapt because guys start breaking out. Other guys get hurt and don't play. So you don't have to go and watch them. So there's a lot to it. Well, when you come in middle of January, that process is eight to nine months deep. And you're talking to scouts that maybe you don't believe that they're good at their job. Maybe you don't have any kind of rapport with them. So the communication, there's a barrier there. And there's a lot of different nuances when you don't actually hire your own staff, which he didn't. He did not hire the people that he was brought in to manage. And that can be a really difficult task for anybody, not just in the world of football. You go in to a really established building and you have a bunch of people who've been there a long time and now you're their boss and they have to listen to you. The second you want to change one thing, people can go bananas. And that 
those kind of things that you deal with in a normal workplace can translate to football. So Kwesi now has the people he wants running things. They have his systems in place. He obviously is the type of person to adapt based on who he's working with, but they're now theoretically have this synergy and a great working environment for how they want this process to go. And the fact that you see what this draft class is doing after an entire year of trying to plan and plot it out, I think speaks to how he wants this process to be conducted, who he knows he can trust and believe with some of these things. And that's how you're seeing the dividends here. And it it can be really frustrating because, Oh, the 2022 class is not looking great. Yes, it is not. But how is that evolution coming along? And so far the evolution looks pretty good, but again, you got to give everything time. Quasi could be the greatest general manager of all time, or he could be the worst general manager of all time. He's likely somewhere in the middle. I would project he's going to be above average, likely when all is said and done. But we don't know, and you have to give him time. You have to give this group time to figure it out and prove whether they are or they aren't. And two games into the second season is not it. Yeah, we should also focus on the other parts of what a GM's role is, too. It's not just the draft. Like, the draft's really fun. I think, you know, mm. we love watching prospects. We love talking about the draft, but a GM's role is, is obviously more than just the draft because you have to fill out an entire roster, not just six, seven guys that you drafted. You have to fill out 53, 63, and when you are 60, what's the total number? 68, and when with you include mm-hmm. practice squad. So there's a lot more to it than just the draft as well as a GM, how you factor in the cap, all those, all those moving pieces. So um, it's just such a minute part of, of a GM's role, but it, obviously gets a lot more uh, focus. And I feel like, you know, there's probably things he learned from last year's draft into this Mm -hmm. year's draft. And, you know, he didn't trade back as much. And, you know, I think in hindsight's 2020, but he probably would have just stayed put last year and taken Kyle Hamilton. And I know that's what a lot of Vikings fans would have liked to seen. And Mm -hmm. um, or Jordan Davis or Jordan Davis, not reaching for, for, uh, for obviously Andrew Booth, who has turned out to be kind of a bust in this. Yeah, there's, there's I'm, I'm down. I'm down for that ton of different uh, questions I think that uh, that he's learned. Uh, college football side. So Forna, I was able to watch um, a good amount of Drake May and UNC against the Gophers. You know, it's weird. I, I felt like uh, not turning this into a Gopher football podcast, it certainly is not. You know, the Gophers kind of shot themselves in the foot numerous times. Um, there was moments in that game that it felt like the Gophers could have actually won it. Maybe they weren't prepared. But obviously the highlight was watching Drake May, who even the broadcasters, it's no secret, probably going to be a first-round pick. He lights them, the Gophers up and has a lot of sustained drives, lakes a lot of big-time throws. The great first throw um, for that first touchdown was impressive. Uh, you've seen him before, but what did you like from Drake May's game against the Gophers over the weekend on Saturday? I'll be honest. I watched a little bit of it, but I didn't watch a lot of it, mainly because uh, I wanted to see Western Kentucky against Ohio State and see what Austin Reed could do. Because I think everybody knows I'm a big Austin Reed guy. But what I did see of Drake May is just what we've seen time and time again. He knows how to stay poised in the pocket. He's not going to do a lot of that Superman stuff that you see Caleb Williams do. But he is more than capable at working outside of structure and being able to deliver the ball down the field, throw on the move. And he can throw it accurately with velocity. And he can throw it to all levels of the field. And having Nate McCollum back was huge. Just imagine how much better this offense would have been if they actually freed Tez Walker, because 
he was supposed to be the guy in this offense. And I mean, Kobe Pacer and McCollum are both really good players. They're not on the level of what Tez Walker was going to bring to this group. So I, I love Drake may. I still have him as my number one quarterback temporarily because I need to continue to watch all the film. And then I can make my final determinations here after the season going into the year. He was number one uh, because I thought he was a much more polished within the pocket passer with the ability to still do all of that stuff. And he showed it. He's, he is that good. And I, but for me, the biggest takeaway was Ethan Kaliak Manis. Slow down. You yeah, don't need bad. to whip everything. Like he had so much at his fingertips, but he rushed it. He threw bullets when he didn't have to. It's like that, that kid who gets to go in and pitch in little league. And all he wants to do is throw fastballs. He wants to throw darts. (laughs) Well, sometimes you throw a changeup. It can actually be more effective than a fastball. And that's what Ethan's got to learn. He's, he's still young. It's his first full year as a starter. He'll get there. But yeah, Drake means the real deal. And I'm glad gopher fans got to see it. Cause I know there's a big contingent of crossover. Uh, you're going to hear us talk a lot about Drake May, and it's all a lot of it's going to be real good. We talk about the Vikings having quarterback problems. Gophers have their own podcast sphere. I feel like they could get into <laughs> with uh, with with quarterback <laughs> issues over our lifetimes as well. Uh, Miles, did, did anything stand out from Drake May's game that you were able to catch on Saturday, or anyone else in the college football scene that you saw over the weekend that impressed you? Well, yeah, I I definitely think with Drake May, he's one of those guys. When you compare him and Caleb Williams, I think coaching for Drake may might matter less in this, in the sense, I think coaching matters for everybody and every quarterback, but I think he can work within more systems. than I think Caleb Williams, or you're going to have to truly build that system around Williams. Whereas I think you could plug may into some of these systems and he'd find his way around to like, to, to rise above whatever system that is. And that's not to say that Caleb Williams can't do some of those things, but I, I do think there's a little bit more of that true structure that may comes with that with Williams you want to kind of build that car with him. Whereas a coach could probably take the car and say, Hey Drake, we're going to plug you into it and you're going to start driving and those types mm-hmm. of things. So that's kind of how I view um, the two of them, but they both are, they're both so good. And I think any team's going to be really excited to, to draft either one, but you're getting a little bit of a different, different type of player, but both with really high upside. Um, so I, I really liked, I thought May was as advertised on Saturday. Um, I actually kind of expected the game to be a little more out of a hand than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Gophers, like you said, had a chance that they kind of um, that usually, Gopher defense is real good, especially on the it back. is it is really good, and I think that's the only like that's like the very only that's like the biggest positive the, the Gophers really have for him this year because that offense they don't they don't know where they go with their run game. I, I think the, the receivers are kind of a little bit all over the place, and then you talked about the quarterback; he's just young and and developing. So we'll see if he can as they progress. But the, this season's only going to get harder. The schedule's only get harder for them, but. Um, as a team, I, I mean, I thought it was not turning into a Gophers podcast, but I, I think it was fun to see like the Gophers play against an out of conference, um, high level quarterback yeah. like Drake May because you don't always get that. So uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. And I know there's probably Vikings fans with PTSD with drafting a safety, but we'll probably talk about some Tyler Newbin even as well yeah. later on um, in play. future episodes because he could be a first round pick as well. Uh, Forno, any other uh, final college football observations before we wrap here in Purple Daily on draft? What, what was on the quad box in, in the Forno basement basically uh, this weekend? Didn't have a lot of quad box time this weekend. <laughs> I, I went to an apple orchard for the first time in my life. There you go. It or not. 
I know. I, I, I am. Um, no, uh, yeah, it, it's not my scene either. Wife loves it. It wasn't too bad. Uh, but uh, one of my big takeaways was we need to stop talking about Joe Milton. He stinks. The only <laughs> thing he can do is be really big and throw really far. That's it. He, he can't throw short, can't throw intermediate. He is not throwing with accuracy, ball placement. And fun fact, he has never thrown a collegiate touchdown on the move. They've hmm. all come from a standstill in the pocket. That's a problem too. I think the Joe Milton conversation is hundred percent done as him being a pro prospect. And I don't think he makes it a few more games until they put in five-star true freshman, Nico, um, uh, I am a Leva. I think I said is that it, right. Is it that bad? Like I haven't watched enough of Joe Milton. I obviously from afar this year, but has it been that bad to start the year? Uh, I, I don't know if you, if you guys know this, but I'm a big Florida Gator fan and they <laughs> whipped the crap out of Rocky top on Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's been pretty bad. It really rough start against Virginia and Virginia has got all kinds of issues. I mean, they were dealing with uh, three of their players being shot and killed on a bus last year and a major coaching overhaul. And like they should have come out there. And if this was the 2022 Tennessee volunteers, they would have put up 70. They only put up like 49. And while it sounds absurd, it's not, it's college football. This is, this is the norm. And watching this Tennessee team, they're just not there. And Milton's bad. And against Austin P state, a FCS team. He started out one of eight and they were tied at six with like 30 seconds left in the first half before they finally got a rushing touchdown. Like wow. it, it's bad. This Tennessee team is not anywhere near as good as it was last year. And Joe Milton is really bad. There you go. There's uh, there's Forno's weekly Joe Milton update on purple daily on draft. <laughs> <laughs> like, we might be getting... I, I, I'm done with Joe Milton. I'm done. I love it. I didn't I think love... you ever you're in to start though. Yeah, I no, I love the passion with it. I would oh, really sure. give him an opportunity to prove me wrong. He, That's fair. He lost the starting job at Michigan in 2020 and Tennessee in 2021. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. I'm like, why is it going to be any different? Okay, you've had a couple years in the system. Let's see. Show me mm-hmm. that you've improved. He hasn't. Yeah. Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Be back next week as well. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button on this video too. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Help spread the word. Tell your friends about Purple Daily uh, on Purple Daily on draft specifically too. Yeah, hit that subscribe button. Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. We'll see you next time.